Well, before we, we move into our, our time of preaching, I did want to uh, put somebody on the spot that does not know that I'm doing this, um, but we have a wonderful family and a wonderful couple that is a part of our church family that this is actually their last Sunday with us. And you probably recognize uh, Jackson Smith up on the drums. You may see him sometimes playing guitar over here or or playing bass over here, or, or playing the other guitar over here, um, but you also may not see Ruby, who behind the scenes is an integral part of all of our children's ministries. She's on our youth council. These are two people who are embedded into our church family, and they have felt led by the Lord to kind of set off on an adventure and see what God has in store for them, and so the two of them will actually be moving to Colorado, so uh, they will be the only ones who sound like this there. Um, I tried to tell them that it, it wasn't worth it to go there just to get high because the altitude you see is much higher. We're low. We're sea level. All of Colorado is just a very high place. That's all I was talking about, nothing, nothing beyond that. But all jokes aside, I, I would ask, Jackson Ruby, would you stand up and just let us recognize you and pray for you? Now, in the very official sense, they're not necessarily going there to be missionaries, but they are going on mission, and they are going to represent Christ, and they will represent Christ while they are there. So, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray over them, and I encourage you to pray over them, and then I'll also pray over our time of preaching. So, would you bow with me, and you pray in your hearts as I pray out loud. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy towards us. Lord, I thank you for Jackson and I thank you for Ruby. Lord, thank you for allowing them to meet here in this church as a part of this faith family. Thank you for bringing them together as a couple to, to start a new family while they were here, while they were among our, our fellowship. Lord, I also thank you that even though we will miss them and it is very bittersweet, thank you for leading them and their obedience to follow you out on this adventure. I pray, God, that you would use them in a mighty and powerful way to make a huge impact in their new community. Lord, I pray that you would help them to find a new church home and that they would get plugged in and be as much of a blessing to that new church home as they have been here to us. Lord, be with them in all of the practical small things that can add up very quickly. Help them with this move. Help them to find all that they need and to find good, faithful Christian brothers and sisters ready to welcome them with open arms there in Colorado. Lord, thank you for their ministry here, for the impact that they've had on my life, for their friendship to me, and for the impact that they've had on our church family. Be with them as they go now, Lord. Watch over them. And they're going out and they're co coming in. May no harm befall them. Lord, we also want to pray this morning and ask that you would help me. Father, I know that I'm not a gifted speaker. I know that I am not able. Father, I know that I'm not worthy aside from the shed blood of Jesus Christ to stand behind this pulpit in this place. Lord, it just wasn't fitting to wear a silly suit because this is a very serious task. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing as we open your word, as we seek to learn from your word. Father, would you teach us? 
Would you enlighten our hearts and our minds? Would you grow us up in you? Would you help us to mature in faith? Lord, would you encourage us as we need encouragement? Convict us as we need conviction. Challenge us and motivate us. Father, that's not possible by me giving some great sermon or great speech on my own. Lord, it's only possible if you push me out of your way and you speak in spite of me to move in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, would you please add the richest blessing of your presence to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. We ask this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to begin into a new sermon series. We're going to spend, including this week, eight weeks looking at a very special phrase that shows up all over the Bible. We're going to take the occurrences of of where it shows up in chunks and we're going to be very biblical in, in how we look at this. This is not a sermon series where we're seeking to cherry pick various verses from all over the place, but this same topic, this same theme repeats itself throughout Scripture. And so this is a very special Greek word that I want all of us to learn and memorize together. And so, Chris, if you'll put it up there for us, this word is alelon. Alelon. Can you say it with me on three? One, two, three. Alelon. That is one Greek word, but it's translated into two English words. It means one another. All right, the, the little W there at the end before the V-looking letter, that's an omega. So that's why it's an on and not just a, a leilon, it's a leilon. And this word shows up a hundred different times in the New Testament. It is all over the New Testament. Chris, will you go to that next one for me? There's 94 different verses that show this verse, and it shows up a hundred times. So there's some verses where it shows up more than once in the same verse. And so as a part of these 100 occurrences and these 94 verses, there are numerous repetitions. So one-third of all of these commands, Chris, if you'll go to the next one for me, 47 of these are direct commands to us as followers of Christ. So it's not just a generic reference to, you know, one another as it's speaking about one another in some other context. It's about church folk. It's about people who believe in Jesus. It's about us as we relate to one another. And so one-third of these, I believe is the next one, are about unity One third of these are about love. So you can see that this is about how church is supposed to work. This is about how we treat one another. This is about how I treat Liam and how he treats me in return. And I could go across the whole room. This is what a church family is supposed to look like. Now, not only that, there's also some odd ones thrown in there. Four of these occurrences are about kissing. So let's just get this out on the table right now. We're not going to have a specific sermon about kissing, all right? I'm not going to go over kissing techniques. I'm not going to go over the various ways that Americans and French people might do that or do that differently. That's not necessarily what the Bible's talking about. The the next slide should help clarify. All of those are about greeting one another with a holy kiss. So there are four times in the New Testament where various authors will end their letter to the church that they're writing to by saying, greet each other with a holy kiss. And all that it means within that cultural context is offer genuine greetings of love to one another. Now, if you went to European countries, they would greet one another with a cheek-to-cheek or a kiss on the cheek, and that is a sign of affection, that is a sign of honor. So when it talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss, that would be the same thing for us as if we greet each other with a firm handshake or a warm 
hug, of acceptance, showing somebody the honor of hugging their neck, of shaking their hand. And so with all that in mind, I want you to be aware, if you're a germaphobe, watch out, because next week we are bringing back the handshake time. Can I get an amen? Amen, right? We, well, we, go. we clap for it. Some of you guys are not clapping because you're not excited, okay? Clark Kilcrease is petrified right now because he's always afraid that he's hurting somebody's feelings because he didn't shake their hand. But that's something that a couple years ago when COVID was really bad, we took it away. We're going to start shaking hands again and moving across the sanctuary, greeting each other, not with a holy kiss, all right? If you come next week to greet somebody with a holy kiss, I will personally escort you to our security team who will just, you know, help pray with you to your car. That's all they're going to do, all right? So... We're not going to kiss during handshake time. It's called handshake time for a reason. But it's coming back next week. So we're trying to get back into our norms. What has happened to us over the last two years is that subtly and discreetly, all of us have been affected by this pandemic. All of us have allowed it to exacerbate problems in our souls and in our churches. And so Part of the reason for us looking through the one another passages is to help remind us what church is supposed to be, what commitment is supposed to look like. And so this week, we'll start off with what flavors all the rest of the seven with loving one another. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John. We will be in chapter 4 of 1 John. 1 John's towards the back of the Bible. It's towards the end of the New Testament. If you hit 2 John, you, you went a little too far. If you hit 3 John, you're probably two pages too far. Just go back a little bit. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. If you don't happen to have your own copy of Scripture with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of Scripture, I encourage you to take that one that's in the back of the pew and just keep it. Let it be yours and it'll be our gift to you. We'll replenish it before next week. But whether you're accessing the Word of the Lord in a digital format or in print or following along on the screens, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word? We're going to look first at 1 John chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 7. I'll read through verse 21. When I've completed the reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. If you're grateful for this Word that God has provided to us, I encourage you to respond at that time by saying thanks be to God. Let's look together now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment, We have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The first words of verse 7, all of chapter 4, zeroes in on the concept of love, but the words that are repeated in chapter 7 tie into that word, alelon, One another. Let us love one another. John makes this immediate equivalency between one another and the beloved and the brethren of Christ. So if you are a believer, if you are part of a local church, this command of love has specific emphasis for how we love one another within the church. In a general sense, are you supposed to love your biological brother and sister? Yes. Are we supposed to love our brother in Christ who may live in Colorado? Yes. Are we supposed to love our brother or sister in Christ who may live in China? Yes. But these commands have a specific poignancy towards the local church for a specific body of believers. The emphasis on this is because when John writes this letter, he is writing this letter to a specific audience. And he asks that this letter be passed among all the churches. And this is not John in and of himself coming up with this idea of loving one another and including it in the love chapter. But if you'll think back to Easter last weekend... When we read John chapter 15, when he records what Jesus has to say, Jesus has this same command on his lips. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 15. The Gospel of John chapter 15. We won't read all that we read last week, but I just want to pick up in verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. We've heard it from John the Apostle. John, one of Jesus' disciples, writing a letter to the churches. But now this is the record of straight from Jesus' lips. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Just there in those few verses, the language is so similar. John isn't making something up when he's writing 1 John. He is borrowing from the very teaching that Jesus gave him. 
And so this is not John going rogue in 1 John. This is just him repeating what the master has said. All the language of abide. That's just a fancy way of saying stay or remain. All of that is tied to love. Jesus ties it to love and John ties it to love. It's also tied to keeping these commands. This is not a suggestion. This is not, hey, it's a really good idea if while you're driving down Heath River Falls Road, you don't go over 60 because I know a guy who got a ticket going down this road for going over 60 down Heath River Falls Road. That's a suggestion. You have to you take it at your own advisement, okay? You, you can trust that I got a ticket the other day doing that like a few months back, or you cannot. That's just, hey, I threw some information out there for you, all right? Down there where you would turn to go to the shooting range on the dirt path. That's where the troopers like to hang out. See, that's just advice. You do with it what you will, okay? That's not a command. Jesus gives a direct command. It's not something to take under advisement. It's not something to think about. Ooh, you know what? If so-and-so got a ticket there, it might be a good idea to make sure that might be a speed trap. No, love one another. This is the command. If we want to stay united with Jesus, if we want to feel Jesus day in and day out in our lives, part of the way to stay close to Jesus is abiding in his love and loving one another. He continues in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? In 1 John, he talked about how God sent his son into the world, and that was the example of how we are to love one another, right? But that example gets a little more detail when we're reading the very words of Jesus. Not just that God sent his son into the world, but verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. When Jesus says that we love one another, when John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, let us love one another, that's the love that's in mind. That's the love that's described in verses 7 through 21 of 1 John chapter 4. He's saying God sent his son to take our sin, to take our penalty, to take our punishment so that our debt would be counted against him. He laid down his life. The same thing we read in Philippians chapter 2, that he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself and became obedient, even obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. That that is how God loved us and exemplified what love looks like for us, and that's how we are to love one another in the church. The command gets specific that it's within the church. Jesus is not necessarily telling you to go lay your life down for a stranger. That can be included in this. But see, Jesus knew personally everybody he died for. Jesus knows you better than you know you. Jesus knows me better than I know me. And if you'll think back to Valentine's Day when Corey Bryan was up here filling in for me, he reminded us of Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us when we had betrayed christ when we had stabbed christ in the back when we had absolutely disregarded him and lived in complete rebellion from him when we were at our worst that's how christ loved us he died for us then not because we were nice 
not because we were cool, not because we were good friends, not because we were going to reciprocate to him the sacrifice that he made. Jesus elsewhere will say that you might find that somebody would lay their life down possibly for a good person, maybe. But who lays their life down for a wicked sinner who stabs them in the back? And folks, this is what happens in church. We, we like to use the word love. I, I love everybody. I love everybody. I, I only know the people who sit on this side of the sanctuary, or I only know the people who sit on this side of the sanctuary. I'm, I'm not real sure who's sitting over here, says John Smith or whoever over here, but I love them. I do. How, how can you love them if you, don't, if you don't know them? What if they did something that hurt your business? Didn't even know you were a part of the same church, and they do something that hurts your business, and you find out you're part of the same church. How do you feel about them now? Because Jesus is not putting a cap on the love. Well, you, you only love the people that are easy to love. You, you only love the people that are nice back to you. No, no, no. He laid his life down for dirty, rotten sinners like you and me. He laid his life down for me, knowing how I would betray him with my pride, day in and day out, making myself God instead of him. And he died anyway. That's the love that should exist between us as a church family. And one of the things that COVID has done to us is it has made the issue so much worse of church being a country club. People like to count their tithes as their dues to the country club. You show up every now and again, and you feel obligated. You feel guilty. So every so often, you feel like you have to do something for the church. And, and sometimes it can even get conflated because maybe the pastor's the one that called you. Well, I'm, I'm doing the pastor a favor. No. Oh, if I call you and ask you to serve somewhere, I'm asking you to do a favor for your church, for your family. I'm asking Chris to do a favor for Clayton by loving him and committing, not by saying, well, you know, I'm part of the gun club down here and the gun show's coming up and I... I I better go do a shift and, and check the guns as people are coming in because, you know, I don't want to be a bad member of the gun club. This is not the Rotary Club. I hadn't showed up to a meeting in three or four months. I better show up to a meeting. But you're not really sure who all else is in the Rotary Club. You're not sure who's going to speak at the meeting. You're not, you don't have real deep connections with any of those. Folks, here's what's happened to us. We have deeper connections with the people we work with, with the people that we go to the park with. I've watched as people who have no tie to the kids playing other than they've been on a travel ball team together stay at the ballpark all day to support those kids. I've watched because there was a Saturday that I had to be there for my kids all day. And I looked and I watched as all of these parents who their kids were done playing, but they stayed to support another kid. There's more community and devotion and love and dedication going on in the travel ball team circles than there is at the church. How can we expect people to be committed to the church when we're not committed to loving one another? I went to that recital yesterday for my daughter. And as I was there, I looked around and my heart was riddled with guilt. Because as I looked around, I noticed all the girls from our church that are involved in that recital. And I've been here for five years, and I've never been to that recital. And I thought, you know what? There are family members who drove here or flew in, distant cousins who couldn't care less, that came to show support and sat through that recital because Susie so-and-so was up there 
dancing in the recital. And that's their family, so they're going to be there. When do we do that? When, when people lose a family member and your Sunday school class calls you up and you don't even realize what's being called about. They're in our class? Who? What? When somebody has a heart attack and nobody from the small group, nobody from the Sunday school class reaches out because you may not even be involved in a Sunday school class or a small group. Do you know our average is that we have a hundred less people in Sunday school every Sunday than we do in here? So if ever we want to get a good count of about how many people are in here, we take the Sunday school number and we can just add a hundred to it. Then you find out what the actual count really is, maybe off by two or three. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we had 445 in this worship center. Praise God, right? That's incredible. That's awesome. God is good. We had 143 in Sunday school. 300 person disparity. You can't truly love somebody that you just see sitting across the sanctuary every so often. If, if you're not plugged into a Sunday school class, if you're not plugged into a small group, if you're not treating church like your family, then I'm telling you, you've, you've worked your way towards a country club mentality. If this is just an event that you attend every so often when you feel guilty to satiate your conscience and make yourself feel better that you attended church, you're not loving one another. If I show up and preach because it's my job and that's all that I do, I'm not loving you. I'm not loving one another. Listen, Jesus talks about this not just in John 15. He says it in John 13. That's the first time that it it shows up, and he calls it a new command. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. There's that same thing. The same kind of sacrifice should go into the way that we love one another as Jesus is sacrificed to die for us. You also are to love one another. 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you know how people know how the church is different from the Rotary Club? Because of the way we love one another. Do you know how people know that the fellowship and the connection at Bethany is different than the fellowship and the connection at Power South? Because of the way we love one another. Are we plugged in to this church in such a way that we have stronger relationships with people in this church? I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying your connection, your anchor, your bedrock, your love is expressed one to another primarily through the connection of church or is it because you teach together at Strong? Maybe you teach together at Andalusia. Maybe you work together at Power South. Which is the priority? Let me tell you something else COVID has done that's eliminated our love. Is that if anything comes along that is remotely more interesting to us than church, church is gone. We will bail on church in a heartbeat. Oh, well, you know, they're opening a new restaurant. Today's the first day that it's going to be open. I really just wanted to go get in line there. Yeah, but you're scheduled to cook for us tonight. Well, y'all figure it out. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go check out this new opening restaurant. Okay, I get it. That's extreme. Nobody on our cooking team's ever done that to us. But it happens in the nursery. It happens with Sunday school. It happens with small group. It happens with Wednesday night worship. 
It happens with Wednesday night activities with our kids. It happens over and over and over again. And, and folks, COVID is a reality at this point that, hey, you might get it. You might get real sick. And if you do, we will pray for you. We will do everything we can to love one another as we get sick. But what has happened is that we have put our car in cruise control when it comes to church. And the love that used to exist has been diminished. They'll know us by our love for one another. That kind of love comes when you know somebody and love them anyway. Just like we said earlier. You can write somebody off at any one of your clubs or any one of the travel ball teams. You can get on a different team. You can do whatever you want to do. But church should be the place where we love one another even though we hurt one another. Where we love one another even though we are dirty and nasty and ugly to one another because we're ugly sinners. Every one of us. There's always going to be times that I'm going to let you down as your pastor. There's always going to be times that we let one another down. But the love that this is talking about is a love that blows the world's mind because we love each other through the hurt, through the heartache. It's easy for somebody sitting over here to say they love somebody sitting over here that they don't know. But when you know this person and you know the heartache and the betrayal that's been caused one way to the other and you love them anyway, then people outside go, why? Would you stay associated with that church after they treat you like that? Because I treated Jesus like that, and he died for me anyway. That's why. And so I'm going to love Jeff, even though he did X, Y, Z to me. So I'm going to love Wesley, even though X, Y, Z happened. Because God says that we love one another, and that love is deeper than superficially seeing each other and waving on Sundays. Hey, good to see y'all. If you're counting that as love, it's not love. Love requires commitment. Love requires sacrifice. And I'm saying that because that's what happened in Jesus. He committed to us. He sacrificed to us. And the Bible tells us in multiple places that we ought to love one another the way that Christ loved us. Look with me at the last passage we'll look at. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is why I say... It's not just a nice, polite wave. It's not you drive past each other and go, oh, I go to church with them. You know, you give them the little, hey, from the steering wheel. And your kids are asking from the back seat, hey, Dad, how come you waved at them? We love those folks. We go to church with them. What was their name? Um, you, uh, you know them. You, you, you see them on Sundays sometimes. You, you know them. That's not genuine. That's a good face. That's a good show. Romans 12 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And look at verse 10. You might be thinking, I just jumped out there and grabbed another verse about love. There's verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Oh, yeah, pastor, but what does that have to do with loving one another? Hmm. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Man, we are so often guilty of not outdoing one another in showing honor, but outdoing one another in who can lay the most burden on each other. Who can undercut the other the most. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's part of love. Contributing to the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ and showing hospitality. How often do you have a fellow church member to your home? How often do you show hospitality and open up your home? How many of us are in small groups that can't get back in homes now because, ah, not our house. Golly, that's just such a burden for everybody to come over here. Yeah, it's a burden. Yeah, it's sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed a lot more. Now listen, I'm not preaching this sermon so that everybody leaves here feeling like garbage. I'm not preaching this sermon so that we all leave here going, well, golly, preacher got mad at us. Don't none of us come. Don't none of us do nothing. That's not the point of this sermon. The point is, it has been a slow phase. It has taken two years of us being comfortable and setting a new status quo. And so, by God's grace, maybe we can all leave here inspired to remember the original status quo, the standard set in Scripture for how we are to exactly live as a body, as a local body part of Jesus. How we are supposed to love one another and sacrifice to one another. How we've been so distracted by our travel ball teams, by our recreation teams, by our kids and their sports and their activities and their recitals and their dances. And we have forgotten that we have loved those people in good Christian ways, but we forgot that we're supposed to love one another. We stop going to support each other. We stop showing up at each other's houses. We stopped inviting each other over for dinner. We stopped coming to Sunday school. So if you leave here today and you feel like, man, I really ought to be going. I I reckon I should since I I feel so bad. You'll come for two weeks and you'll be gone. That doesn't help anything. Doesn't help your heart. Doesn't help your church family. So don't leave here beating yourself up, feeling guilty like, gosh, I, I just, I'm awful. There's a handful of you in this church that this doesn't have anything to do with you because y'all are here for everything. And if you walk out of this church going, I guess I need to volunteer for three more things, your marriage is going to fall apart. Don't do that. It's a good and godly thing to have white space on your calendar. Okay? What I'm praying and hoping that this passage does, all four of these passages, to my heart and to your heart, is that we reorganize our priorities because this church is worth it. Because Christ is worth it. And when we look at what activities are we going to take part in, where are we going to devote our time, where are we going to devote our energy, we remember that we should love one another and we are devoted to one another and commit to being here for one another. Whether that's here in this building or whether that's loving one another in the community or loving one another in our homes. I hope and pray that God will inspire us Not make us feel guilty, but challenge us in a way that we want to rise to the occasion because He's worth it. And we will remember our first love. We'll remember it's not easy to be part of church, but it's what God commanded. 
And we'll commit to one another. And we'll love one another. Maybe not perfectly. But maybe at least like we did before COVID messed everything up so bad. This morning, maybe you're sitting here and you've already tuned me out. I hope that hadn't been the case. But you tuned me out because you thought, well, pastor, you're talking about a whole bunch of church drama. And I ain't even part of the church. I don't even know about this Jesus fellow. Let me tell you something. The reason the church is supposed to love one another is because this Jesus fellow is God. And he died for you. Because each and every one of us is a sinner. And this church is imperfect. And I am imperfect as a shepherd of this church. But we serve a Savior who is perfect. And he died so that his perfection would cover our imperfection. He died so that even though we've turned away from God, there would be a way for us to get back. And this morning, if you're hearing that for the first time, I I pray that it pierces your heart. And that you would ask this Jesus, who gave up the glories of heaven to come and live on earth and die on a cross. This Jesus that we celebrated last Sunday as being risen from the dead. You would ask Him to be your Lord. That You would ask Him to be your Savior. That you would give your life to Him and know what true love feels like. And experience true love for the first time in your life. By experiencing the love of God in Christ for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you that you dedicated your life and sacrificed for our benefit. Lord, forgive us where we don't do that. Forgive us where I don't do that, Lord, where I have forgotten what it looks like to love one another. Even though you gave us the perfect example. Lord, I pray that you would help us to reorganize our priorities, to restructure our calendars, to show the love and the hospitality to one another that you would have us to show, that we would remember what church is supposed to be, and that we would strive to love each other in that way. Father, if there's anyone here who's never trusted in you, I ask, Lord, that you would move in their hearts, and that they might commit their hearts and lives to you today. Lord, we pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.